Turning your Bibles to Esther chapter 6, we're continuing, of course, <clears throat> our study of the life of Esther. We're seeing the providence and the protection of God over his people. During the reign of Ahasuerus, and we talked about it a while ago, he's the king of Persia. That decree had been written by this man named Haman. He was an evil man, an enemy of the Jews. This decree had been written by Haman, signed by the king, and sent throughout the kingdom that on a certain day, 13th day of the 12th month, all the Jewish people throughout the entire kingdom would be destroyed, would be killed. And here's the question. Would God, or will God, allow his people to be destroyed? The answer is no. God is working. He is using the lives of two different people, Mordecai and Esther, to save the Jewish people. And this morning we're going to see clearly that God is working. We call it the providence of God. We've reached the turning point of this book. Because up to this point, it's really been bad for the Jewish people. We're seeing Haman, and it looks like he's winning. It looks like everything's going his way. And he's rich, and he's powerful, and everything. But the king can't sleep. And we'd say, well, so, so what? Well, there's a reason. Why didn't Esther say to the king that day in the first banquet, what's going on? Why did she say, let's wait till tomorrow? She may not have known it, but God's planning for the king not be able to sleep. And as we look at this passage this morning, we're going to see several things. First of all, we're going to see the providence of God. He's working his plan. All things are under his control. He's working all things according to the counsel of his will. And how do we respond? to the issues and the problems of life. Second, faithfulness. We see that, that Mordecai is faithful, faithful to do what God has for him to do, and we're going to talk about being faithful in what God has for us to do. And then, then last, pride and humility. Boy, what a contrast. One brings honor, humility, and one brings destruction. That's pride. And we see the contrast in the life of Haman and Mordecai. And this morning we're going to see God working as the king can't sleep. In Psalm 73, there's a guy named Asaph writes the psalm, and he cries out to God. And you know, there's some psalms in which the writers are saying to God, this doesn't look fair. What do you think you're doing? Have you ever said to God, what do you think you're doing? You know, you're not going to make God mad. You're not going to hurt God's feelings. God loves us with an unconditional love, and if we want to say to God, God, I don't understand what you're doing, he'd say, I know you don't. You just can't see it yet. In Psalm 73, Asaph, the author, he says to God, things don't look right. He saw these unbelievers, those who rejected the true God, and they were doing evil things, and they were prospering. They seemed to be getting away with it. They lie, they're arrogant. He calls them fat, which means at that time they have all kind of money. He says it doesn't seem fair. And sometimes when we look at life, it looks like some people who don't believe anything who are actually evil, and they seem to be getting away with it. But then Asaph writes and says, I saw their end, their separation from God. See, there's a great truth. People do not get away with evil. God is in control. As we see our passage this morning, God begins to settle the account with Haman. The tide begins to turn on this evil, frightful man. He's not going to get away with his plan to destroy the Jewish people. God begins to move. Evil will not triumph. And once things begin to move, it really moves fast, as you can tell. God is working in a way that we have to trust Him in our lives. And sometimes it, things that, it seems like things are going slow, too slow. And sometimes we say, I don't understand. And that's okay to say, I don't understand. God is working. Well, let's remember where we are. Haman has been raised up to number two in the kingdom. He was very angry, 
with Mordecai because Mordecai wouldn't bow down to him. Mordecai's Jewish. And so he, when he finds out that Mordecai's Jewish, he says, not only would I want to kill Mordecai, I'm going to kill every Jew, every Jew throughout the whole 127 provinces of the, of the Medo-Persian Empire. And so he goes to the king and says, there's some bad people in the kingdom. It would be good if they were eliminated. I'll pay the money to do it. The king takes off his ring, says, sign whatever you want, write whatever you want, and put my signet ring on it. And that's what happens. And the king doesn't even find out who the people are. He doesn't even know that the queen that has been raised up, Esther, is Jewish. And the decree is to kill all the Jewish people. King didn't even ask who these people were. Well, the queen has got to risk her life because he's got to go to the king and say, listen, there's a decree out by this bad man named Haman. It's going to kill me and all of my whole people. And so she goes in to see the king, and we talked about it last time. And the king could have killed her just walking in. You couldn't just go in to see the king. You had to be invited. If you weren't invited and he didn't raise, put down the scepter, they would kill you. Well, Esther came in. He saw her put down the scepter. said, what do you want? She said, I'd like you to come to a banquet. You and Haman. Sounds good. And he says, go get Haman. We'll go to the banquet. Haman says, man, I am really big time. I'm number two in the kingdom. And the queen invites only me and the king to a banquet. And at the banquet, the king said, tell me, Esther, whatever you want, even up to half the kingdom. And she said... Would you come to another banquet tomorrow? And we all looked at that and said, What happened? Why didn't she just say, That bad man over there wants to kill all of us and he signed this decree and everything? But she didn't. Wonder why? Well, why didn't she tell? So the events in chapter 6, what happened? Because the king can't sleep. After the banquet, Haman went out and began to brag to his wife and friends, and he said, You know what? I've got all these sons, I've got all this money, I've got number two in the kingdom, I've got everything. And even Esther invited me for a second time to go to another banquet. Nobody is as good as me. He said, but you know what? There's only one thing that bothers me, and that's that guy Mordecai. I, I want him dead, and I hate to wait till the 13th day of the 12th month to kill him. I wish I could kill him now, and I could kill all the Jews. And his wife and friends said, why don't you just do this? Make some gallows, which when we think of gallows, we think of hanging somebody, but it's not hanging. It's a big, sharp stick, and they're going to impale somebody on it and stick them way up in the air. She said, his wife said, why don't you make some gallows 75 feet high and then go in to see the king early in the morning and tell him you'd like to kill Mordecai now? And the king will say, oh, I, you're the best guy of all. Yeah, you can kill Mordecai. And then what you can do is hang him up there, stick him on that big stick, and then you can go to the second banquet and you'll be happy. He said, good idea, we'll build the gallows. I'll get up real early in the morning and go see the king. So, what happened? Well, the king can't sleep. Let me break down the passage for you. We're going to see in verses 1 through 3, the king can't sleep. And so he reads the Chronicles and he finds out about Mordecai. And so Haman enters with the plan to ask to kill Mordecai, but something changes, and all of a sudden Haman is shamed because he's got to honor Mordecai. And things are about to change. And as we study this passage, just realize that in your life, when, even if things don't look right, God is working behind the scenes. God is working. The king can't sleep. Chapter 6, look at verse 1. During that night, the king couldn't sleep. So he gave an order to bring the book of the records, the Chronicles, and they were read before the king. Now, the king can't sleep. Why can't the king sleep? King sleep? Well, because God's not going to let him sleep. It could be that he's laying there going, what does Esther want? What, I mean, why would she put it off? I mean, why, what does Esther want? But whatever, he can't sleep. So he's, he calls for one of his men. Hey, come here. Go, go get some of the records, any of the records, the Chronicles. It's like reading minutes of a meeting. 
that'll put me to sleep. So the guy's going to come in and go, okay, on the 13th day of this month, uh, they did this and they did this. And the king thought, okay, that's what will happen. I'll just go to sleep. So bring the guy in and read the Chronicles. So this is the records, the records of, of the kingdom. And so what happened? It was found written, verse 2, it was found written what Mordecai had reported concerning Big, Big Thana and Theresh, two of the king's eunuchs, who were doorkeepers, that they had sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. Now, if you can remember back to chapter 2, when, when Mordecai was at the king's gate, he heard two of these men, these two men, plotting to kill the king. So he went and told Esther. He said, those two men are going to try to kill the king. She went and told the king. They checked it out, found it to be true, and killed those two guys. But what we said at that time is Mordecai got nothing. You'd think that the guy who saved the king's life, they'd say, hey, we're going to give you a present, maybe a, you know, a ribbon or something, and you can, you can have a, you know. But nothing happened. And we all said, that's not fair. He should have got something. You just got to remember, you got to wait for God's timing. So it was found written that Mordecai, what Mordecai had reported concerning Bigthana and Redrash, two of the king's eunuchs who were doorkeepers, that they had sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. And we see that in the reading, and by the way, think about this. Out of all of the records of the kingdom, it just so happens that they read the record where Mordecai saves the king's life. It just so happened, right? Everything just so happens. No, God is working all things. We see the sovereignty of God. Out of all of the records, it's about Mordecai. So look at the king's reaction. Verse 3. king said, What honor or dignity had been bestowed on Mordecai for this? Then the king's servant who attended him said, nothing has been done for him. Now, when he realizes that Mordecai had saved his life, here's the question, what honor, what had been done for Mordecai? And the answer is, nothing. And you can almost see the king going, what? This guy saved my life? We didn't do anything for him? And see, when it originally happened, we all said, that's not fair. That's not fair. But God knows when is the right time to honor Mordecai. God is in control. Sometimes something happens to you and you say, that's not fair. I was supposed to, I was I was supposed to get that. And you have to say, I don't understand it, but I have to trust God. Why had Mordecai been forgotten? Look, God never forgets. We have to trust God. You realize Galatians 4, 4 says, In the fullness of time, God brought forth His Son. When we think of Christmas, we think of Jesus being born, right? And we think of 2,000 years ago. And we think of Bethlehem. Why was it then? Why wasn't it now? Why wasn't it before then? Galatians 4, 4 says, In exactly the right time, God brought forth his son. Jesus came at exactly the right time. And the things that happen in our lives happen at exactly the right time, even though we can't understand it and figure it out. Now, it's the right time for Mordecai to be rewarded. Watch what happens. When the king finds this out, verse 3 basically says, what's been done? They said, nothing's been done. So the king said, wait a minute, who's in the court? Now what just happened? Now think about this. It's now early in the morning. The king could not sleep. They read all through the night until they got to that one part. And the king says, wait a minute, what did you just say? Mordecai saved my life? Uh, what was done for him? Nothing? What was done for him? 
we got to do something. Wait a minute. Did somebody just come in? Because early in the morning, Haman has decided, remember, he's going to get up real early in the morning, and what's he going there to do? He's going to go see the king, and he'd say, King, I'd like to kill this guy named Mordecai. Really? So what happened? So the king said, who is in the court? Because he just heard somebody. Now Haman had just entered the outer court of the king's palace in order to speak to the king about hanging Mordecai on the gallows which he had prepared for him. Who's in the court? Haman. What's he there for? To kill Mordecai. What is the king just found out? Mordecai saved his life. I don't think the king is going to want to kill Mordecai. Right? Timing. The king desires to honor Mordecai. Haman desires to kill Mordecai. King said, who's in the court? And the king's servant said to him in verse 5, Haman is standing in the court. And the king says, let him come in. Now see, this is good because I'm the king and I want to honor Mordecai. And here comes my number two man in. It's amazing. He came so early this morning. And I'm going to have him help me figure out how to honor Mordecai. That is going to be great. The king's servant said to him in verse 5, Behold, Haman standing in the court. And the king said, Let him come in. So Haman came in and the king said to him, What is to be done for the man whom the king desires to honor? And Haman said to himself, Whom would the king desire to honor more? than me. Now, isn't this amazing? Be careful when you lift up yourself that you want, you fall. When people try to lift up themselves, they fall. And all that Haman cares about is himself and his money and his sons and his power and his position And now he's walked in there, and the king looks at him and says, Haman, I got a question. What would be a really good thing for the king to do to someone he would like to honor, to the man that he would like to honor? And Haman goes, who else would he want to honor more than me? I mean, I'm the main guy. I'm the guy. Haman thinks he's talking about himself. Think about what Haman says. Look at his pride. He's rich. He's the number two in the kingdom. He's got the king's ring. He's been invited now to two banquets. Who else would want to be honored? Proverbs 16, 18. Pride comes before what? Does anybody know? A fall. Exactly. You've heard people say, you're getting too big for your, your britches. Exactly. And so Haman says, who else? Who else would he want to honor except me? Who else? See, you know what pride, there's a controversy. See what pride is this. Pride is confidence in yourself. In what you have. Look what I have. I have this, I have this, I have this, I have this, I have this. And what I know, look at, I've got this degree and this degree and I'm smart and i got this. And look, look what I get to do. I tell people what to do. Listen, I'm in charge here. And Haman said, I'm rich, I'm powerful, I'm number two. And a lot of people in our world, we go through life saying, what makes you important? Well, I have this and I have this and I have this. That's what pride does. Pride puffs up. But look at humility. See, humility is not confidence in ourselves. Confidence is in God. We belong to Him. We trust in Him. 
See, humility says, listen, I trust in God, my God, my living God. He'll use me any way he wants to. Uh, just say, Lord, just whatever you want me to do, I'm ready to do it. It's not me, it's you through me. That's what it's all about. We know who we belong to. It's the living God. It's his grace, his mercy, his gifts, his power. Humility is confidence in God, not ourselves. And the key for our lives is to be men and women of humility, not pride. Looking out for the needs of other people. Think about this when you wake up in the morning. It's not, what's God got for me? It's, God, how can you use me to touch lives for you? That's what it's all about. Think about your life. The greatest thing in life is touching other lives for Jesus Christ. It's not having things. Things don't matter. Things break. Things tear up. You get a thing, you've got to get another thing. But when you touch lies for Jesus Christ, it's eternal. What is Haman's reply? Haman thinks, <laughs> he's asking, what would I like to have done for me? Okay, here's what we're going to do. Haman said to the king, for the man whom the king's desire to honor, let them bring a royal robe, which the king has worn, and the horse on which the king has ridden, and on whose head a royal crown has been placed. Now you have to read that carefully. Because he basically says, how about the robe which the king wears? Wow. He's asking for the king's robe and a horse on which the king has ridden. That's who, like, whose horse is that? The king's. And by the way, it says, and on whose head a royal crown has been placed? You can't tell from English. The crown is on the horse's head. See, in the medieval Persian Empire, the king's horse had a crown on the horse. So what he's saying is, Get the robe that the king wears. Get the horse that the king rides with a crown on it. And then he says, And let the robe and the horse be handed over to one of the king's most notable princes, and let them array the man to whom the king desires to honor, and lead him on horseback through the city square, and proclaim before him, Thus it shall be done to the man whom the king desires to honor. What do you see deep down inside Haman? He'd like to be the king. What would be the best thing for you, Haman? I'd like to have the king's robe and the king's horse. Because if you got the king's robe and the king's horse, guess what? You may be king someday. Because I am number two on the list. What if something happened to Ahasuerus? Maybe I'll be king. And if I go being paraded through the city, wearing the king's robe, riding on the king's horse, everybody will say, wow, he's next in line to be the what? Be the king. So Haman, thinking it's about him, says, I think robe, horse, get on it. Let somebody who's really important bring, bring the guy through the city and say, Thus the man the king desires to honor. Poor Haman. I almost feel sorry for him. But I don't like him at all. Do you like him? He's going to get the shock of his life. Then the king said to Haman, Great idea! Take quickly the robes and the horse of you have said, and do so for Mordecai the Jew, who is sitting at the king's gate. Do not fall short in any of all that you have said. What? Haman goes from fame to shame. Just like that. He's expecting it for him, and, and the king looks at him and says... 
do it for Mordecai the Jew. See, do you understand that the king doesn't realize that the decree to kill all the Jews? He doesn't even understand. He hasn't even looked at the decree. He doesn't even know what people group it is. He doesn't even know that he's just honoring a guy who's a Jew who the decree is to kill in about 10 months. He didn't even know it. He just says, take Mordecai the Jew and do exactly as you have said. Proverbs 29, 23, pride brings low and the humble will be honored. Pride brings dishonor. Humility brings wisdom. There is a contrast in the scripture all throughout the Bible. In fact, all of the wisdom literature that you find, it talks about humility and wisdom go together while pride and dishonor go together. What caused the fall of Satan? Pride. What caused the fall of man? Pride. It's always there. He came to have Mordecai killed. And now he's got to honor him. There's a commentary by a book. It's on the book of Esther. It's entitled, Why Was I Ever Born? And it describes this scene. Let me just read this part to you. It says, naturally, Haman thought he'd be the one the king wanted to honor. He said, he told what he said, and then the king said, good, do this for Mordecai, the Jew. Haman gasped. What was this? Mordecai? Mordecai, the Jew? The little insignificant, insubordinate, insufferable, intolerable nobody. Good grief. Haman started out of the room, but his knees were sagging. And the king said, and by the way, don't leave out anything you said. What a change. Listen, do you think that God is going to take care of you? Those of you who know Jesus Christ as Savior, do you think he's going to take care of us? Yes, even when you can't see it. What a reversal. What a turn of events. Look what happens. King said to Haman again, verse 10, Take quickly the robes and the horse, if you have said, Do so for Mordecai the Jew, who is sitting at the king's gate. Do not fall short in any of all that you have said. So Haman took the robe and the horse and arrayed Mordecai and led him on horseback through the city square and proclaimed before him, Thus it shall be done to the man whom the king desires to honor. Can you imagine how Haman felt? This was the worst thing that could happen to him, or so he thinks. There's still some worse stuff to come. Xerxes had no idea what was going on. It has been said this, that the two most confused men in the kingdom were Mordecai and Haman. All of a sudden, Mordecai's at the gate, and Haman comes up to him and says, you've got to get on the horse, put the robe in here, I've got to take you through the city. Mordecai goes, what in the world? This guy hates me, and he's doing this? And you can almost see Haman going, I don't get it. This isn't right. Why did the guy I want to kill, he's insignificant. Why does the king want to honor him? Look what happened. Then Mordecai returned to the king's gate, but Haman hurried home mourning with his head covered. Now, let me tell you something. The reason I wanted to bring this up about Mordecai went back to his position at the gate. Remember, he had a government job. He had a government job. He's just been honored above anybody else in the kingdom. But what does he do? Does he say, thank you very much, thank you very much? What does he do? He goes right back to doing what he's been doing. Notice, 
Mordecai, they, and, he, and the, it says, Mordecai returned to the king's gate. He is faithful. This is the key. Listen, the key to our lives is just be faithful to do whatever God has for you to do. Whatever it is, wherever it is, just be faithful to do it. That's when, when you stand before Jesus Christ, he's, we want him to say what? Well done, good, and faithful servant. The contrast. Look at the contrast. Mordecai was mourning. Now he's honored. And Haman was boasting. Now he's mourning. Now, before we get too happy, and, and, and when chapter 7 is over, we can be jumping up and down and being happy, but we can't be all that happy. You know what? The decree that was written for the death of the Jews on the 13th day of the 12th month is still in effect. And it will always be in effect because the laws of the Medes and the Persians cannot be changed. So even if we kill Haman, the decree is still in effect. We're going to see that chapter 7, chapter 8. Look what happened. Haman recounted, as he goes home, Haman recounted to Zerus' wife and his friends everything that happened to him. Then his wise men and Zerus' wife said to him, If Mordecai, before whom you have become to fall, is of Jewish origin, you will not overcome him, but will surely fall before him. We could look at this and go, that doesn't make any sense. Why just a while ago were we all saying, kill all the Jews, kill all the Jews, go hang the thing and everything. And now they're looking at him going, well, he's Jewish, you know, you're going to have a lot of problems. Let me ask you a question. From Abraham on, has God protected his people? Will he always protect them? Listen, even during the Holocaust, six million Jewish people killed. Did he protect his people? Did he bring them back to the land that he promised them? From Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to the twelve, all the way down, these are God's people, and he will protect them. He says, I will bless those that what? Bless you, and I will curse those that curse you. Throughout history, there have always been people trying to curse the Jews. And they will never succeed. Never. Haman recounted to Zerus, his wife, and his friends, everything that happened to him. And his wife, his wise men, and Zerus said to him, If Mordecai, before whom you begun to fall, is Jewish or you're not going to overcome him. You will surely fall before him. I, 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 if I'm Haman, I want to look at them and say, Why didn't you all tell me this before? Right? I think what's happened is they realized, Wait a minute. We've always heard about these people. We've always heard about these people. So look what happened. While they were still talking with him, the king's eunuchs arrived, and they hastily brought Haman to the banquet which Esther had prepared. Now Haman so far is having a pretty bad day, but it's fixing to look good, right? I mean, even as bad as it has been, he now gets invited to the banquet, and the only people going to the banquet is the king and the queen. And so even though he's had a bad morning... He's still, I'm still okay. I'm still okay. I'm still number two on the list. I still have all my sons. I still have all my riches. And I'm the only one invited to the banquet with the queen. So I'm still okay. Here's what I would like to say to Haman. Don't count on it. Okay? God is working in the events of these lives. Let me raise some questions. Why couldn't the king sleep? Why hadn't Mordecai been honored? Why was Haman there so early? Why did Haman think the king wanted to honor him? Why was Haman picked to honor Mordecai? Why is it now time to go to the second banquet? All of these things God is working. Why did Esther wait 
to today, the next banquet, to make a request. God is working. What have we seen? King can't sleep, so he calls for the Chronicles, found out Mordecai had saved his life, never been rewarded. Haman comes in to kill uh, Mordecai before he can even say a thing. The king basically says, I want you to honor Mordecai and do what I said, and he does it. They go back home. Haman now is invited to the second banquet. And next week, we see what happens at the second banquet. Let me give you some applications. Let's think about it. Let's rest in the truth that God is in control in the events of our lives. There's no chance. See, it wasn't chance that the king couldn't sleep or that Mordecai had never been honored or Haman came in early or Haman uh, wasn't, you know, wasn't going to be honored and, that ha- and Mordecai was and that Haman's all embarrassed and Mordecai gets the robes. I mean, none of this is chance. And we already saw the start of the book that Esther, out of all of the young girls in the whole kingdom, are raised up. Is that chance? Nothing is chance. And in your life, there is no chance. There is no fate. There is no bad luck. There is no good luck. God is working all events in our lives. And we can trust Him. He's in control. We realize the providence of God. And that's why He works all things for good to those who love Him. Doesn't say everything's good. He's going to work it good. And with that in mind, that he's the sovereign God, 2,000 years ago, God sent his son into this world. That in the fullness of time, God brought forth his son born of a woman. Jesus Christ came to die on the cross to pay for our sins and rise again. It's not chance. Jesus is the Savior. He's the Savior of the world. And he's provided a way of salvation to everyone who believes in him. That's the sovereign plan of God. And my hope and prayer is that every one of you in this room, that you have already trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, and you know you have eternal life. And if you never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, right where you're sitting right now, you can, you can believe that Jesus Christ died for you and rose again, and you can trust in Him alone to give you eternal life. And you'll be saved forever. That's God's plan. Second, Let's be characterized. Let's be people characterized not by pride, but by humility. Look look at this verse right here. I think we've got it. Philippians 2, 3, and 4. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. See, pride is all about me. Humility is all about others. And as we go through life, let's just look at life and say, Lord, how do you want me to touch lives? What about those, those angel things? What, how many do I want to get? What lives can I touch? Day in and day out, how can I be used by God to touch lives for Jesus Christ? J.I. Packer wrote this. He said, we grow like Christ by growing down into lowliness. It's impossible to give the impression that I'm a great Christian and Jesus is a great master at the same time. First John says the world pulls pride. Proverbs sixteen eighteen, pride comes before destruction. Philippians two says, Let the mind that was in Christ Jesus be in you. It's humility. Look for ways that our lives can touch others. I saw this quote. It said, "If we look to the world's great, if we look to the world, greatness is how many people you lead, 
if you look to the word, greatness is how many people you serve. Finally, let's be faithful servants. Just like Mordecai went right back to his job. Even though being number two, you know, going through the kingdom and wearing the king's robe and the king's horse, he goes right back. Let's just be faithful. Let's be faithful people because one day you'll stand before Jesus Christ and we want to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. And 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, we'll all stand before the judgment seat of Christ to be rewarded for the things that we've done in this body, whether good or worthless. One day you'll stand before your Savior based on how you lived has nothing to do with eternal life. That's already based on faith alone in Christ alone. This is the rewards that you would get for service. May we hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. May we trust God in the circumstances of our lives, knowing that he's in control. May we be faithful as we serve our Savior, being men and women of humility rather than pride.